The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day. take you back to the early 1980s or what? It, uh, it really anything by the police does. Yeah. Totally. I mean, they were monsters of that time. Yep. You know? That, of course, was Spirits in a Material World, the opening track from the 1981 album Ghost in the Machine, which, you know, at that point in time, I believe the police were one of the biggest bands in the world. 
Yeah. I mean, they just turned into monsters. They were um, getting the, uh, the the debuts on MTV. Oh, yeah. Synchronicity 1 and 2, yep. which oddly yep. enough, 2 was the bigger one out of the two. I believe it Synchronicity was. Synchronicity with the candles and the sting and yeah. all that. Yeah. But it, uh, <laughs> funny little... Uh, Funny little anecdote about spirits in the material world that says a lot about the police in general. Uh, apparently, Sting wrote that song on a little Casio keyboard. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah, one of those little toy deals. Mm-hmm. According to him, he was riding around in a truck, you know, uh, being Sting, I guess. Uh-huh. And when they went to record the tune, he didn't want any guitar on it. And, of course, Andy Summers, you know, the guitarist right. for the police, disagreed. <laughs> you know, so they went back and forth, back and forth, as everybody knows the police did do. Mm-hmm. And uh, poor Andy Summers <laughs> caught between two of the biggest egos in rock history. Right. But uh, eventually uh, they decided to record both the little Casio plank plank keyboard mm-hmm. that Sting had and the guitar part somehow mixed it together. But that was that part of the course for the police. Right. You know, it's, right. it, it really is... You know, when you digest the inner workings of the band after the fact, a wonder that they lasted as long as they did. Mm. You know, and uh, you know, you know, credit to them. Some of the stuff, some of the music they put out, timeless. I mean, that song yeah, still sounds right. good, doesn't it? Yep. But, uh, but you know, speaking of the 1980s, mm. since, conspicuous by that. Yes, yeah, since we always always have an agenda <laughs> with our gems, um, as I'm sure you're aware. Uh, New Ghostbusters film just came out, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I heard about that. Yes. And uh, just out of (laughs) sheer curiosity, I decided to do some poking around the whole Ghostbusters thing because it Mm. is a fascinating history. This is the fourth film in the franchise. Yep. I don't know if people, you know, actively acknowledge that. That's that's pretty impressive when you think about it. And it's even more impressive when you consider that other than the first film that came out in 1984. All the other films are considered failures, mm-hmm. you know, but they keep going back to it, going back to it, hitting the well, just like Hollywood does. Well, I'll tell you a little disclaimer or, or side of note. Um, in deference to uh, John James, which sometimes joins yes. us on the podcast, uh-huh. he's a, uh, a, a Ghostbusters aficionado. Isn't he, though? So, A, apologies, because we're talking about Ghostbusters in a <laughs> different way. Let's get ready. Switch me on. So don't feel slighted. Yeah. But the second half of that is, yeah, I tease him incessantly because I think Ghostbusters 2 was just absolute crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's funny, and, and, you know, the movie studio regarded it as, it as such. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original 1984 film, uh, Going Back in Time, did $282 million at the box office. At the time, that was the second highest box office of 1984, and... At that point in time, the highest grossing comedy oh, of yeah. all time. It was a cultural phenomenon. Oh yeah, I hands down. Yeah, if if people remember, it just it it saturated life at that mm-hmm. point in time. Uh, they came back with the 1989 sequel, which actually did 215 million at the box office, but was a critical flop, and Columbia Pictures called it a failure. Right, disaster of biblical proportion. A $215 million failure, mm-hmm. you know, because apparently <laughs> it didn't impact culturally like the first film did, you know. So they waited a little while. They went back to the well in 2016 um, and did the, uh, I don't know, uh, franchise reboot, I guess you could call it. Yes. Um, which all-female cast was, from what I understand, primarily because Bill Murray refused to commit to it. Hmm. So they, you know, they went the female route. Uh, that film did $229 million at the box office, but Columbia Pictures estimated at the time that the film needed to do at least $300 million just to break even. Right. And again, failure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So 
it's kind of funny to think that they went back to the well again right. for Afterlife. But given the impact that the first film had and the unique impact that it had, I think I can understand it. Um, apparently, according to multiple people who are in the know on this kind of thing, the 1984 version wholeheartedly was adopted by conservatives. Uh, that came from political writer Derek Robinson. How often do you hear conservatives wholeheartedly get behind anything embracing in anything coming to Hollywood? Exactly, and you know it didn't end there. In 2004, the National Review listed it as one of the 25 best conservative movies of all time. Hmm. Now I don't know about you, but I don't. You know, when I see it, and you see it in reruns, right. I don't think, ooh, conservative movie, mm -hmm. you know? But a story in the Washington Examiner called it the most libertarian Hollywood blockbuster of all time. You know, and still, again, I don't see the film and go, ooh, libertarian, nice. Right. You right. know, it just, it, it's funny that people put it in that context, in that perspective. And I mean, I can't think of, I don't know, too many films. Uh, that you can put in that context mm -hmm. of a conservative film or a libertarian film. I mm -hmm. mean, I guess you can make some argument for like maybe Die Hard, right? You know, or something like that. You just don't you don't hear that. Yep. Um, but coming out of the gate with Afterlife, I think this criticism was leveled on it even before uh, the film was released. Uh, critics were alleging or are alleging that we're culturally stuck. We are. We're, we're a bit stagnant because yeah. everybody kind of everybody kind of hates everybody right now. <laughs> <laughs> and in addition to that, we all just kind of hate our our lot in life. Yeah. And normally, and I, I think I can say this this correctly. Normally, your older segment of society yeah. just hates on the young, younger segment. Oh, that that goes without saying. And it's almost like versa, a duty, duty right. of each each generation. Yeah. But as you know, we've touched on, on on some of the episodes that you've taken point on the the different generations, which you know the names and categories I'll never get straight. Yeah. It's like really everybody just hates everybody, and the one thing that it seems even Hollywood agrees on is that. There's not much to look forward to, so let's go backwards. Yeah, and what they seem to, you know, see as as a guaranteed hit is going back to the decade of the '80s. We're sending you back to the future. In a weird way, because it was almost as if the '80s moved so fast. Yeah, like Ferris Bueller warned us, <laughs> we Good blinked yeah. and we missed it. Yeah. So now there's a lot of kind of retconning the 80s and going back yeah. and finding mystery, horror, and intrigue around every corner because nobody really remembers what was going on because we were so distracted. Yeah. Right now, we're not distracted. We're looking at every news story, every event that happens, every interaction with every person we come across and every empty shelf and every high-priced gallon of gas there is no escapism it would seem. whatsoever. Yeah, it you know? would seem. And it does seem like any time you look over your shoulder, you look into the past, it's done with rose-colored glasses. Exactly. It's the nature of the past. Yeah. You know? Yeah. To borrow a line from a, a Billy Joel song, the good old times weren't always good, and tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's probably a point that people need to need to continually make as we're heading into 2022. Right. But yeah, there's, there's definitely... Um, merit to that. And, uh, you know, not coincidentally, Afterlife uh, is being directed or was directed by Jason Reitman, mm -hmm. uh, who's the son of the original, of the late Ivan Reitman, who was the director of the original film. Right. And, you know, obviously they're, they're, they're trying to get some, some 
DNA zeitgeist or something like that to put into the new film. Yep. Yeah, this, this, this movie has street cred because of the lineage that the all-female reboot couldn't hope to accomplish. Oh, I mean, yeah. the deck was stacked against that and how the Hollywood big shots in the room that greenlit that project couldn't see that coming a mile away. Oh, I know. It, it seemed like they shot themselves in the foot by announcing that before they even started shooting the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, the trolls accused Sony Pictures and director Paul Feig, I, Feig, be, I think yep. is how, yeah, Feig, of uh, social justice propagandizing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a bit like of a mouthful. Get, how do you like to get hit <laughs> with that before you've even, you know, had your had your Before the know, first bucket of popcorn is I know, sold. you know. So, you know, that, that film seemed like it was probably doomed from the beginning. Right, but then again, I mean, knowing that you could sprinkle in aspects from the original, which people love. You see that in, in television and movies. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves to retcon stuff and prequel and so on and so forth. Yeah. But another phenomenon that we're seeing, in particular as it applies to the 80s, a lot of these new movies and TV shows are tapping into... I guess it's the most basic element, it's nostalgia. Yeah. But again, there's something that they've created, that this aura of mystery about yeah. the 80s. There's a, there's a reoccurring theme here, definitely. Right. Now, for example, Netflix, uh, arguably their biggest hit of all time has been the show Stranger Things. Okay. Which harkens back, I mean, it takes place in the 80s, okay. but it harkens back to the, uh, the classic Spielberg movies yeah. and the John Carpenter movies, yeah. all those things that reeked of 80s-ness. Yeah. And with it, it brought a wave of um, nostalgia, and even in terms of um, you know, hard goods and things... Dungeons and Dragons made a comeback. Yep. BMX yep. bikes made a comeback. You know, <laughs> yeah. the 80s music, which never really went away, now is like surging again. Oh, yeah. And people, you know, they, they, they look back and whimsically reflected on, of all things, shopping malls. Yeah. Because yeah. That, that's, as we speak, shopping malls, not just, you know, brick and mortar, but the big ones. Oh, they're going They're by, dying off. Yeah, they're going away of the right. dinosaur. Rents are too high, and it's like if you if you go to an average shopping mall that used to be booming in the eighties, that's still standing. Yeah, you know, you've got sh- stores in there. You're like, I never heard of this shit. It's like <laughs> like a garage sale, and they call it like Spirit of the Midwest, and it's yeah. all Indian goods and dream catchers and whatnot. Oh yeah, or Spirit Halloween and stuff like that. Yeah. They just come in and leave. And these malls were monsters. They were monsters. monolithic. Three, it was the epicenter. Yes. Yeah. It was the epicenter of the community, and on any given weekend, you'd go to the mall, and what did you have in the main lobby? There was a show, maybe a karate demonstration, yeah, yeah. or Boy Scouts doing something. A little bit of live music. Yes. What was the name of that chick that uh, that made her... Tiffany. Yes. 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 Touring... And really, Debbie Gibson did it, too. Yeah. That's how they got yeah. their start. Touring the malls. Because that's where everybody went. Yeah. You know, if you're in a high school or middle school... You know, unless you were playing a sport and you had a, a big football game that weekend, or even if you did, the, the topic was always, wow, did you go to the mall this weekend? Did you yeah. see such and such? Uh-huh. And, and the Very kids would so. hang out by whatever, you know, central area there was. Their parents <laughs> would give them 20 bucks to get them out of their hair. The food court, the right, cinema. Right, yeah, it was, You could spend a day just doing nothing, Literally. you know. And if you think about, again, those 80s movies like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yep. Uh, weird science. I mean, it revolves. There's always a scene oh, yeah. in the mall because that's mm-hmm. that's where shit was going. Well, Kevin Smith literally did a film yes, called Mall Rats. Exactly. Yeah. So and it is. It is kind of funny who you talk to and what memories come out of it. Because yeah. I think of the 1980s. I think of bad haircuts and people doing way too much cocaine. You know. But once you get that that 
knee-jerk reaction out of your system, okay? <laughs> and this has happened to us. And we start sitting down, we're talking, we're like listening to music. You're like, you know, it really wasn't that bad. I remember the song. This is a good tune. Well, it was, It was. <laughs> you know, for, for people like you and I and, and people in our age group, it spanned what seemed to be a, a very uh, transitional period. Mm-hmm. You know, when the 80s started, I was in junior high. When the 80s ended, I was, you know, graduating from college. Right. You know, a whole lot of things transpired. It, it mm-hmm. seemed like there was a lot more time packed into that stretch than there have been in, you know, the ensuing decades, like the 90s. And you are correct, because if you look at, let's take something basic like fashion, okay? And I've always found this to be readily apparent when you're watching old NFL films, because you look at how people are dressed on the sidelines. Yep, yep. And here we are, let's say 1980, everyone's got khaki slacks and that one kind of Nike sneaker, (laughs) the white with the the red swish, okay? Yep, totally. Fast forward that to, say, 1989, and forget about it. They're wearing, like, Zubaz pants and fanny packs and all kinds of stuff. You're right. A lot happened in the 80s. This country, like, leaped ahead. And again, that's why I think a lot of this stuff is just so forgotten that now it lends itself to people going back and kind of looking at it again like, what really happened there, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, you know, the, the Stranger Things is one example, but look at another recent uh, superhero blockbuster movie, Wonder Woman, yep. Yep. set in 1984. 1984. Out of all yeah. the places they could have did that, okay? Yep. And, and one of their biggest action scenes occurs in a shopping mall, yep. right? Because yep. everybody can relate to that. Oh, yeah. And then even uh, more recently, over the Halloween holiday, we had yet another Halloween movie in the franchise, yep. but this one is you know true uh, to the series and the first I guess two which had Jamie Lee Curtis in or whatever. Right, right. And this time like the whole town rebels and they've had it with Michael Myers <laughs> shit. Well, great. It only took like a hundred dead people to spur them to action. No but again, it harkens right back to the eighties because yeah. they know that there's just something. It, it, I don't know. Almost what it something, is. something otherworldly about it. I mean, you see, yes. you say 1984. The first thing I think of is shoulder pads. Yeah, you right. Know, those right. jackets, <laughs> you know, and and you know, elevated, you know, poofy and parachute hair. pants, yeah, and exactly. mesh tops. Yeah, it was funky shit, man. You yep. know, it really was. And like we discovered, you know, when we were going over, uh, I think you just mentioned, you know, our favorite albums mm-hmm. of the 1980s. There was so much. There really was oh, yeah. a lot that transpired yeah. during that. Stretch. And look at cars. They came into the eighties, nice and curvy. Yep. Right. Yep. They left boxy. Yeah. Everything was angular and boxy. Oh yeah. Right. You also saw the dawn and advancement of home computers. Yep. Nineteen eighty. There was nothing. Okay. You, you still talk had, like, about revolutionary. Right. Jesus. And same thing. Like 89, 1990, Even hello, cell phones. Yep. Everybody started getting them. Yep. You know. The progression of music during that stretch. You know, yep. we ended the 1970s when punk was kind of fading out and New Wave was kicking in, mm-hmm. you know, and then you went through the middle 80s and you had, like, Madonna and, and yep. Live yep. Aid. I mean, mm-hmm. Live Aid was was uh, monolithic, yeah. to say the least. You know, we concluded the decade with hair metal, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, was, was not long for this world, courtesy <laughs> of, you know, some of the guys that were in the garage bashing it out like Nirvana, yep. you know, that... You know, is a, a really good point to make right there. Nirvana became Nirvana in the 1980s. You know, bashing it out in the garages yep. and, the, and the shit clubs. and Or as and you sometimes do, it was more like, well, chicken and the egg. Nirvana became Nirvana because of the 1980s. Yeah, also, also. Yeah, <laughs> what it begat. Yeah, yep, completely. Yep. It was a reaction, too. And you had another point. Uh, I remember you telling me with, with Ghostbusters, the... Um, you know, it was like these entrepreneurs, yeah. okay? These, these upwardly mobile bootstrap up pullers, you yeah, know, the scientists. Yeah. 
And and their foil was the uh, the, the EPA weaning EPA dick. <laughs> yeah, played what? by William Atherton, right? Who, who was the dick in like pretty much every eighties yeah. movie? <laughs> he, he, he nailed that particular character. You know, speaking of Die Hard, he was the douchebag in the first yep. two Die Hard films. He was the douchebag professor in Real Genius with yeah. Val Kilmer. Yeah, and I believe we have not substantiated this yet, but I believe. He played a turncoat patsy in the uh, James Bond film Never Say Never Again. Uh, I need to verify that, uh, and if I'm wrong, I'm sure Myra Goldstein will, will call us indeed, and let us know. Indeed. Well, do you remember the film shucker. The Pelican Brief? Yes, I do. He actually finally got a chance to play a relatively cool character. No I kidding. believe he was the director of the CIA in that one. Uh-huh. You know, and he was only in a couple scenes in the film, but you know, at one point they meet in the Oval Office, and he's not... You know, douchebaggery. He's right. like he's a cool tolerable. dude. He's, right. he's all right. You know, and I felt I felt good for him at that one. It was like, you know, you deserve a break, pal. Good deal. You know, <laughs> I'm sure you get a lot of shit on the street. You know, when people see you and go, oh, you were. And seriously, I mean, yeah, it's got to be tough from this because you know? if you're a character actor who's not necessarily a tough bad guy yeah. character actor, you know, like you play the weasel in every movie, like a Paul Reiser. <laughs> yeah. I mean. You must get assaulted left and right oh, by people. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. It's like the old timey wrestlers when people thought it was real. Yeah. And they'd like try and stab the bad guy as he was leaving the arena. <laughs> yep. Yep. So yeah, I, I, I definitely felt for William Atherton, definitely. Right. And you know. But yeah, he did it well. He yep. did it so well. And yeah, you had a that's a that's a very good point. Um and you know, if you didn't live through that time period, uh you can't really relate to it. But this was the Reagan era, mm-hmm. you know, and Exactly. Things like entrepreneurialism was celebrated back then. And yeah. that was when the, you know, big government is evil shit really started, mm-hmm. you know, coming out of the previous decade. But conversely, it's like that's why they call it the big 80s. Yeah. Because the 70s, especially towards like the end with card, I mean, everything was stifled. Yeah. Everybody was quiet. People walking around hunched over. Well, if you think about <laughs> what was going on in the cities like New York, mm-hmm. you know, New York was fucking dangerous back then. Yeah. It, was a, it was a very large slum. If the stink of trash didn't get you, yeah. then yeah, the, <laughs> the Bronx was on fire, basically. Yeah. Crime was out of control. Yeah. Yeah. L.A. wasn't doing much better. Right, you, yeah, you, you turn on the news and it's like day three hundred and four of the hostage crisis. I mean, yeah, everything I know, just yeah. sucks. Yeah, the Iranian hostage crisis. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, that went on then, and yeah, it just yeah, there was a stench to it. Definitely yep. a stench to it. So hey, is uh, you know, in conclusion, the eighties is money. Yep. And who would have thought that Ghostbusters would be you know, and you could say you know, if you leave a writer alone long enough, a good writer can write about anything. Yeah. So for somebody to come up with a theory of how uh, Ghostbusters, the original, is is really in tune with the right wing philosophies and capitalism and whatnot. Yeah. Or just have at it. I mean, you just know, just in tune with the times. <laughs> yeah, you know, just in tune with the times. And, that, and that's really what it is. I think in retrospect, it's yeah. it, it was totally in tune with the times. You couldn't make a movie like that today and have those guys be such over heroes. Yeah, you know, yeah. because people might look at it today and say. Well, how does he avoid that firehouse with a second mortgage on his house? Does he live in a mansion? What is that? You know, I think the ghosts they'd leave alone, but they'd probably want to have, you know, yeah. more diverse uh, array of ghosts <laughs> than they had in the first make, one. Make sure every nationality is represented. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. they have to make a point to say Slimer's gay, oh, just so goodness. the LGBT community can, like, have in on that. Oh, Lord. <laughs> to which they fire back. Why does the dead thing have to be gay? Why can't it be a <laughs> Ghostbuster? See? Once you fall down a rabbit hole, you're screwed. Oh, yeah. So, Michael Shornley, get us out of this. It's yeah, time for a yeah. middle jam. Good luck to Afterlife. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> 
But, uh, I but hear it's yeah. doing quite well, by the way. It's Is a good it? movie. I, yep. I haven't looked, but yeah, well, more power to them. Yeah. Uh, capture the cultural zeitgeist if you can. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's get out of this. Um, we're going we're gonna to actually do something a little bit different. We usually go back in time considerably for our gems, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, credit to Johnny Teflon for being open-minded. I pitched him on this one, and he gave me the go. Uh, this is a Bruce Springsteen song uh, off the album Letters to You uh, that was released in September of 2020, relatively recently. Mm-hmm. And in going with the theme of ghosts and, and retrospect, this is a song from uh, from the boss called Ghosts. Yep, outstanding tune. It was an easy to convince me on. Uh, good research, sir. Thank Enjoy you. it, folks. We'll be back in a couple minutes with some more things. And yes, stuff.
Turn up the volume, let the spirits be my guide Springsteen. Can always nice. count on Bruce, especially nice. when you're reminiscing. Absolutely. Absolutely. According to Bruce, that song was about the joy of being in a band, looking back on, you know, friends, mm-hmm. uh, old times, you know, maybe a little bit of friends that aren't with you anymore kind of a thing. Huh. And uh, and yeah, just putting putting it in perspective. Right, right. You know? And uh, and yeah, never a bad time for some Springsteen, man. I, never. You know, I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to spin a little Bruce for... Uh, for, right, uh, and we're at, like you said, I mean, normally we just look, you know, in the rear view on that one, but that's a little forward thinking of us. Yeah, you know. Damn. Like, yeah, 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 we don't do that. Do we're we? going to change our demographic. Oh. It's going to be all the, what, what do you call the 20-somethings now? What are they? Generation what? Generation shut Generation, generation the fuck Z. <laughs> <laughs> you know nothing, little bastards. Well, well hey, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue the Zoomers uh, as we go into this next segment, because, yeah, you, you know, they, they have definitely been on the receiving end. You know, right. it's, it's, you know, as we've touched on many times, it's incumbent upon the current generation to bash the of next course, generation coming up. And uh, and the Zoomers have taken their share of shit and yeah. well-deserved at times, I might add. But I tell you what, if this is true and it does <laughs> it does turn out that they have a, uh, a razor-sharp sense of humor, yeah. I might have to rethink everything. I know, I know. So this why don't you is, tell us about this little yeah, phenomenon? Guys, for, yeah, Generation Z, Zoomers... You know, for all the times that, you know, we here at Big Boom Radio have, have uh, I don't know, laughed at you a little bit, <laughs> maybe maybe beat you up a little Shit bit. Shit bags. I, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah like that. I got to say, this next, next segment does a lot towards restoring my respect for Generation Z. All right. Uh, John, are you aware of the fact that birds aren't real? You know, just recently uh, I heard uh, something uh, about that. Yes, yes. Go on. Uh, we could call this, I guess, the birds aren't real movement. Uh, very curious. I was perusing the, uh, the New York Times just recently, as I will do from time to time, and I came across this story, uh, and I will admit, this was news to me. I'm not quite as dialed in <laughs> to this kind of thing as I used to be, but uh, it was all about the birds aren't real movement. 
which uh, was a thing created by a guy named Peter uh, Mikendo, and I apologize if I'm pronouncing his, uh, his name wrong, a 23-year-old college dropout from Memphis, uh, and he, he launched this movement back in 2017, or 2017, excuse me. But what it is, and this is just, this is just funny as hell, this is a Generation Z conspiracy theory positing that birds don't exist anymore and are really drone replicas created by the U.S. government to spy on Americans. Now, give it... <laughs> Look, let me back up a second. There's a college dropout in Memphis? Shocking but true, folks. Okay, Shocking and now go back true. to the bird part. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, as much as we're, you know, obviously taking the piss out of this... Um, the movement now has hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Oh, uh, and just, just recently, there were massive billboards uh, proclaiming birds aren't real in Pittsburgh, Memphis, and Los Angeles. <laughs> and these guys, and uh, you know, this is, you can't make this shit up and, and a credit to this kid and you know, his, his co-conspirators. Uh, in November, they launched a protest outside of Twitter's headquarters in San Francisco in November... <laughs> Demanding the company change its bird logo. <laughs> How dare you? I mean, this, oh, you know. Look, admittedly, I love this. This is some inspired shit, I'm telling and you. And when you started telling me about this tonight for the show, I, I wish I could have seen a look on my face because <laughs> I had seen a meme online about yeah. a guy driving on a highway. All right. And next to him was this big white van espousing all of these birds aren't real truths that you just covered. Yeah. And it says in there that they recharge when they sit on power lines. That's why <laughs> they do that. And I'm looking at this. And, you know, here in the Northeast, you will occasionally come across somebody, normally driving a van, right, right. that's got all kinds of stuff written or, like, stickers on it that spell it like a, like a message, like a kidnapper's note would. Yeah. So that didn't like shock me. So I'm looking at this. I'm like, oh, it's just another loon, you know. Yeah, yeah, Don't think yeah. that surprised me. Is probably that the van wasn't parked at a Walmart parking lot. Yeah, no doubt. No but doubt. then you come with this thing. Like this is an actual <laughs> thing that's out there. I think it's amazing. And yeah. maybe these kids actually have a sense of humor. Now tell oh, us a little bit about yeah. this cat. Now this this kid this kid Peter Peter Mickendo again. Uh -huh. Sorry if I'm mis mispronouncing <laughs> your name, pal. He's Irish. Uh, He's been through worse. There we go. <laughs> uh, he apparently grew up, uh, or at least he regards himself as someone who grew up in a in a world of misinformation. Um, he was a homeschooled kid. There you go. Uh, he was. Uh, Brought up in a, in a very religious and very conservative community. Uh-oh. Um, Were they allowed to dance? Oh, wait, I'm thinking of Footloose. No, probably. Okay. Well, you know, you're, yeah. Oh, that. <laughs> Children but, uh, of the corn. But according to him, he was taught that evolution was a massive brainwashing plan by the Democrats. Oh. And former President Barack Obama was the Antichrist. And as much as I wish that was true, it's, it's not. <laughs> it's not. He's not even a, a minor, like... Dibbick or or anything like that. It's, it's yeah. just not. Yeah. Well, this was this was very I think very well summarized by the uh, the New York Times writer uh, as this in a in a uh, post uh, truth world uh, pretty much dominated by conspiracy theories. This is Generation Z's effort to poke fun of and thumb their noses at the misinformation and upend the rabbit hole with absurdism. And oh. Like I said, you know, I didn't think they were capable. I really right, didn't, right. you know. But 
This kid is definitely proving me wrong. Mea culpa. You know, I tip my hat to you, sir. You know, according to Bird's Pittsburgh organizer, Claire Cronus, the organization is fighting lunacy with more lunacy. <laughs> That's Thanks. fucking brilliant. Thanks, That's brilliant. Claire. Yes. Thanks, Claire. Now, if birds aren't real, what does that make the Philadelphia Eagles? It kind of makes you wonder. Message! It truly yeah. does. It yeah. truly does, you know? <laughs> but yeah, for years, apparently, the organizers have stayed in character. But uh, Megano recently said uh, in an interview that they're ready to reveal this whole thing as a parody, lest people start to think that birds really are drones. Right. Which is a very real possibility in, in the current climate, you know? But, uh, and I mean, you know, some of the things they did, apparently in 2018, he hired an actor to portray a former CIA agent who confessed, quote unquote, to working on bird drone surveillance technology uh, for the U.S. government. And they, they, they did this for a video that now has had over 20 million views on TikTok. You know, it's, it's just, this is... This, this shit is this, brilliant. I tell you what, this makes me want to interview the my pillow guy so badly right now, because <laughs> I guarantee you, after a fifty-minute conversation, I could convince that jackass that birds don't exist. Oh, I know it. I know it. <laughs> and that's that's probably a very real consideration that you know, guys, we better stop doing this because we're starting to get some real adherence here, and yep. it's, yeah, it's getting a little disturbing. But uh, <laughs> but you know, in another quote, this kid apparently is eminently quotable. He said, "It's been about holding up a mirror." to America in the internet age. Oh, boy. That's pretty fucking profound, I have to say. I yep. have to say, credit where credit yeah, is due. Kudos to him. Yeah. He nailed it. And I guess I have to begrudgingly say, okay, maybe some of these kids got a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and yeah, a sense of, like, extreme absurdist humor, which I so totally respect because you have to have a level of intelligence yeah. to embrace that yeah. kind of concept, you know? But yeah, he did say that you know he is breaking character now, you know, and revealing this to be a parody mm -hmm. because it's necessary to help b the birds aren't real movement leap into the next level in 2022, um, <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see what that next level is. Right? You know, <laughs> I can't even begin to you know wrap my brain around the previous level. You know, what could they possibly be up to next? Uh -huh. You know. Well, somebody better put a call on the Sesame Street and tell Big Bird to watch his oh, ass. Oh, seriously, cuz the shit is coming down. Yep. It's coming down, <laughs> you know. So again, tip of my hat to you, sir. You know, this this shit was brilliant. Absolutely wow. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, uh continuing with this upper trend of complete absurdity and lunacy, <laughs> Do we have a, a gem that reflects any of that? I, I, I think we do. I think we do. <laughs> I think this is most appropriate indeed. And uh, and yeah, yeah. This this probably in retrospect would seem obvious, but uh, in honor of <laughs> the bird crew, uh, let's spin out a little Steve Miller. Let's do "Fly Like an Eagle," shall we? Oh yeah, that should mellow us all out just right. So enjoy this one, folks. And yeah, we'll be back in a couple minutes with some more things and stuff, and perhaps a wrap up. Stay tuned. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Slipping, slipping into the future. 
That is like hookah pipe kind of you, smoking man. rock. Yeah, oh, there. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Little Steve Miller, "Fly Like an Eagle." That, of yep. course, was uh, from the uh, from the album of the same name in 1976. Though actually, uh, the band first started playing it as early as 1973. Wow! And uh, yeah, so that uh, that tune's got some uh, got some. Got and and point out, we it, actually you know? considered for a brief period doing the Seal version of that song. We did, which we for did. Seal wasn't bad, but we couldn't get a good copy of it. But yeah. 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 So we went with Steve Miller because you can't go wrong with Steve Miller. You cannot. Timeless. You absolutely cannot. And again, that was a tip of the hat to the Birds Aren't Real crew. Yes. Bravo, guys. (laughs) Bravo. Watch out for power lines. No, wait. No, scratch that because that's how they recharge. I'm lost already. Hey. Oof. Moving right along. (laughs) Moving right along. Hey. Um, I think, uh, and and you and I touched on this briefly. I think it uh, this would be a good time to give a little tip of the hat uh, again. Uh, and uh, and a and a nice nice work, young man, uh, to uh, the late Mike Nesmith. True, who passed away this week um, in his mid seventies. Mike, of course, was one of the uh, the monkeys yep. who started out as a faux group and became a real group, right? Because know? of him pushing them forward and yep. uh, you know being a constant thorn in the ass of the producers of yes. the show. Yes, he was, and uh, you know. When I was little, I would watch the monkeys. I was never a, a huge fan. Yeah. You know, as an adult, as we've discussed before, I love their music. Yeah. And um, probably Nesbitt was my least favorite monkey. 
He yeah, he kind of wasn't the, the he didn't he have was the too edgy right yeah, personality. He, he wasn't was the, the edgy artistic monkey. Yeah, yeah, and I think because of that reason, I feel worse about his passing than both Davy Jones and Peter Tork. Indeed, because he was really the heart and soul. I mean, when you when you picture the monkeys, yeah, a lot of people will see Davy Jones, but immediately it's Mike Nesmith and that yeah. friggin' hat. Well, he, he, <laughs> was, yeah, he was the artist. He was the artist. Yep. And uh, as Mickey Dolan's acknowledged, he was their leader. Poor Mickey. He's the only one left. Now. I know. I know. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, you got you to gotta admire and you got to respect the progression mm-hmm. of the monkeys. You know, they were you know, created for TV. They're based on uh, the Beatles characters from A Hard Day's Night, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, became a force to be reckoned with. Right. Really. You know, they had a great, great obviously great team of songwriters uh, cranking out the hits for him but these guys became musicians mm-hmm. and uh, and Mike Nesmith was you know the the artist amongst the crew mm-hmm. and uh, his contribution was you know I mean to put it in perspective one of their first shows they do live you know open for him yeah Jimi Hendrix funny he yeah. got booed off stage <laughs> by the by the teeny boppers Man. screaming we want the monkeys <laughs> Uh, Talk about surrealistic. Very surreal. Very surreal. But yeah, Godspeed, Mike Nesmith. Indeed. And, you know, as most people know, his uh, mother invented whiteout. Yeah. In, in the kitchen yeah. sink. Yeah. So go figure. Yeah. Great, great lineage <laughs> there. Very, very creative folks, those Nesmiths. And he did a, um, yeah, he was very creative. He, he did a, uh, I think it was a one-off uh, television show in the 80s uh-huh. called, I think it was Mike Nesmith's Television Parts. Okay. And it was um, little skit pieces and whatnot sent in. It was really the, the precursor of America's Funniest Videos. Interesting. But people made these skits on, you know, at home with primitive green screen and whatnot. Right. And there was a skit that as a kid I used to laugh my ass off at where somebody had, and I guess this is like an arts and crafts thing, a dried apple face woman. Shunk an apple head woman. I'ma eat you. I'ma get you. Okay. I'd never seen one until this show, and I'd never seen one since then. But they did it like it was a giant like Godzilla monster, and it was terrorizing this town. See the people out of my way. I'ma eat you. And I don't know, somebody yeah. did the voice, and they're like, I'm a 500-foot dried apple face woman. I'm going to get you. <laughs> and they show people like looking up. Like, like they, they mimicked everything from the Godzilla movies. You right, know? And they were right. running from it. and Just funny shit. Oh, man. And uh, it just showed that he wanted to have his hands in a, in a whole bunch of things. Yep. And yep. sadly, they, they had just completed um, a, a, a tour. tour. Yeah. 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 Like you uh, so astutely said, Godspeed, Mike Nesmith. You were an original. Yep. So then in other news and yeah. Big Boom Radio. What is going on in BigBoomRadio.com this week, John? Well, our good friend, Sir Nigel Pennyworth, is back. Nigel. Well-rested. All right. Yeah, he's been on a bit of a sabbatical, hasn't he? Much, yeah. much. He's probably chanting with monks somewhere or doing some <laughs> oddly European colonialist type funky, things. Funky dude. Funky dude. But he's back uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, and his first thing he did was an episode of the Classic Rock Showcase. All right. Um, a long lost and then redone Queen Volume 2. Nice. Very, very good episode. And uh, he's going to jump right into it, do some more episodes of the British Incursion. Okay. As well as other episodes of uh, the Classic Rock Showcase. So welcome right. back, Nigel. Good to have him back in the fold. Yep. And he's, uh, he's still skittish whenever he comes to the studio. <laughs> B just loves him. Oh, man. And his seersucker slacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Ooh. But other than that, it's business as usual as we head down the track. There's light at the end of the tunnel called 2022. Yikes. But more on that in upcoming episodes. Indeed. So for now, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. As always, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Sean Lee. And we'll see you all on the flip side.